Hello and welcome to a special edition of Amateur Hour, a News and Observer College Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Carter. I cover UNC Athletics and I'm coming at you live here at the Smith Center following Duke's 74-73 victory against North Carolina tonight. And I'm joined by Laura Keeley who covers Duke for us. Hello, Laura. Andrew, always a pleasure. Indeed. And Laura, this was among the most stunning games I think I've ever covered. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the Austin Rivers game from the 2011-2012 season, but that was a you know one-moment kind of moment where Rivers makes that shot and the game ends. This was kind of just a slow bleed kind of performance for UNC, which leads by eight points with a little less to go, a little less than seven minutes to go, and they score five points the rest of the way. And a lot of people right now are saying, how did UNC lose this game? What was the reaction from the Duke side of things, do you think? Yeah, you know, from the reporters standing outside the Duke locker room, that was definitely the vibe, you know. So if you were watching at home and you were like, what the heck is going on? How did that happen? That that was the feeling inside the arena too. But, you know, the Duke guys, they, they were as happy as you can imagine. You know, two years ago when the Jabari, Parker, and Rodney Hood Duke team, which, and we'll get to this later, reminds me a lot of this Carolina team. When that team came to Chapel Hill and lost, you could hear Mike Krzyzewski yelling through the cinder block walls that block the Duke locker room from the hallway. This year, you could hear them just cheering, yelling, jumping around. Like, you know, it was a really happy group of guys who just never kind of gave up, kind of kept fighting, kept fighting, and they, they went to what they did best. You know, Mike Krzyzewski put the ball in the hands of Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen, spaced the floor out, and said, you know, Go get stuff done. And in UNC's man-to-man defense, they looked for matchups they liked, and then they went and attacked the basket in the paint. And it was really it was really that simple for Duke. Why it had to be so complicated for UNC, I'm unsure. Yeah, I don't know if there's a real great way to explain what happened uh, to the Tar Heels in this game. I mean, really, UNC controlled this game for most of it, uh, led by – only four points at halftime, but it just seemed like the Tar Heels were kind of in control by that point, and we're up by eight again with less than seven minutes to go, yet it seemed like UNC could never really deliver the knockout punch. To be fair, Grayson Allen, you know, kind of unintentionally put it perfectly, and he was like, you know, there there was a lot of times in the second half where they could have put us away, and yes, yes there was, but UNC never did it. You know, Duke was down by seven points four different times, and by eight points once in the second half. And they only had four healthy scholarship guards after Matt Jones landed really awkwardly on his left ankle midway through the first half and did not return. So all four of Duke's guards played all 20 minutes. Marshall Plumley played the final 11 minutes with four fouls. And for some reason, UNC couldn't solve that puzzle. And again, Andrew, I am puzzled as to why that was. Well, I am puzzled too, Laura. I don't have any... uh... (laughs) There's no, yeah, I mean, just, you know, I wrote what I wrote just now, which you can find in print on reputable newsstands everywhere and at newsobserver.com, just about the reaction from the UNC side of things. And that reaction was just kind of one of being purely stunned and despondent, and no one really had a great explanation for it. The thing that is really going to rankle a lot of fans when looking back at this game is the fact that Roy Williams did not call a timeout. With 20 seconds to go, UNC comes up with a rebound, down by a point. Uh, Joel Berry brings the ball up the court, actually goes over, dribbles toward the UNC sideline, and is checking with Roy on whether Roy wants to 
wants to call a timeout, and Roy gives him the motion like, no, we're not calling a timeout. By that point, Duke's defense was set. There was 14 seconds left in the game. Barry didn't really look like he had much of an idea of what he wanted to do with it. He winds up forcing you know, a difficult shot there, kind of approaching the free throw line that missed. There was no offensive rebound, and and that's how the that game it. it. Yeah, you know, let's let's talk for a second about Joel Barry, who was two of twelve from the field. He had another kind of, you know, for me, Andrew, the moment that really summed it up for UNC. This is late in the game. I think after the final media timeout, Carolina is bringing the ball down the floor. The shot clock's winding down, and Joel Barry is the one who is taking a falling away kind of mid-range jumper with all of his weight going back. It is an air ball. It hits nothing. And Carolina has a shot clock violation. Joel Berry is 2 for 12 from the field. Marcus Page is 2 of 10 from the field. There's a lot of missed shots when you have a guy who Duke cannot stop but who disappeared for long stretches in the second half. Yeah, doing my quick math here, I guess that would seem to be 4 for 22 from the field combined for Marcus Page and Joel Berry. And when UNC is not making shots like that on the perimeter, it's just going to be difficult for these guys to win. It's going to be difficult for any team to win like that. But... But, 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 Andrew, and, and if you're a UNC fan, I think this is what's really bothering you. UNC had a great scoring option that Duke could not stop inside in Bryce Johnson. And, again, after Plumlee picks up his fourth foul for reasons I don't understand, they don't just go right at Plumlee with Johnson. In fact, he just kind of disappears. And Johnson, if I remember right, I'd have to look at the uh – the game book here, which I don't have sitting in my lap at this moment. But Johnson went out of the game, too, a little bit after Plumlee picked up his fourth foul and they put in Chase Jeter, who averages four and a half minutes of playing time a game in ACC games. Looks like that's an opportunity that UNC has to exploit but didn't with Jeter in the game. Didn't really go after him or do much with, with that mismatch. And then after Plumlee came back in, I think he came back in with, what, about 10 minutes to go? About 11 minutes. is like 10 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, about the 11-minute mark, this guy has four fouls. He is Duke's only proven post player now that Jefferson has been out for months. months. And they don't get him to pick up his – it's just – What is going on? Like, it is beyond words. It, it is stupefying. It, it really is. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have an explanation. I, I, I don't. I don't either, and that's a weird thing about this for UNC is that there were some, you know, people are going to forget this, but there actually were some promising moments for the Tar Heels early in this game. They were beating Duke in transition. They were scoring fast break points. They were running the offense the way they want to through Johnson in the middle. Johnson had a double-double in the first half, his first double-double in one half since uh, the game at Florida State where he had a double-double in both halves in Tallahassee where he scored 39 points and had 23 rebounds. But then during that critical eight-minute stretch there where Duke is just kind of hanging on and hanging on and it's a seven-point lead and UNC pushes it to eight at once, has a chance to put it away, Johnson wasn't really involved in the offense all that much. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, I asked Roy about that after the game today and basically he said that Duke did a better job defensively than UNC did offensively. That's not going to be an explanation that really satisfies a lot of people, I don't think, because there's really no way to explain it. No, not when Duke is playing man-to-man defense and, you know, the man closest to the basket has four fouls. That's not going to get it done. But, Andrew, speaking of people close to the basket, pretty telling. One name we haven't mentioned is Kennedy Meeks because I'm not really sure what he did or what he gave UNC at all in this game. Meeks has been an enigma. You know, he played well in stretches at the start of the year. He played really well in the season opener. I want to say he had 25 points, I think, against Temple you know, was successful in that game, had a nice start to the season. Then he has this 
bruised bone in his knee. He goes out, misses some time, comes back, plays okay after his return a little bit. But I think now what? He finished with eight points today, six points. Yeah, six points, eight rebounds today. Rebounds, not bad, but four of those came in the first four minutes. Right. And he only had five rebounds, or he only had four rebounds total against Pitt on Sunday, which rebounding was an issue for these guys on Sunday in that game. Um, but Meeks, I don't know what's going on with Meeks. You know, he kind of resembles right now the player he was late in the season last year where he just kind of disappeared amid a mysterious health issue, this illness that he never really described to us what that was. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they have to get more out of Kennedy Meeks. They have to get more out of Marcus Page, you know, who's their senior leader. Page, it looked like, had reached the other side of this miserable slump that he had been in. You know, kind of after this game, you have to question whether he's back in it. Only seven points for him, three assists, three turnovers, missed all six of his three-pointers. And you can tell that Page really wanted to make a critical shot in the second half of this game and just couldn't. No, he couldn't. And, you know, kind of to UNC's detriment, he kept trying, honestly, when I think they would have been much better served trying to go inside to Bryce Johnson. But, yeah, you know, it's confusing because – Every time UNC could have really exploited one of their advantages over Duke, they just didn't. You know, I mean, Duke Duke played four guards for 20 minutes in the second half. They Those four guys did not leave the floor. You know, Plumlee's playing just really shorthanded with four fouls. UNC has a ton of depth. UNC has a ton of size. And for, again, reasons that I will never understand, none of that translates into enough to win for UNC. Which kind of brings me, Andrew, and we'll wrap this up here as it's quickly approaching 1 o'clock in the morning. It, you know, I thought this last year, and it's the exact same UNC team, like to a fault, it's the exact same UNC team that lost 12 games last year. But watching that group, I really thought, you know, this reminds me of the Jabari Parker-Rodney Hood Duke team from 2013-14. You know, it was talented, But man, oh man, anytime the going got tough for those guys, did they fold and obviously ended up bowing out in the first round against Mercer. And when people talk about toughness and, you know, UNC not not being tough when it needs to, that's that's the exact same stuff we saw with the Parker and Hood team. And that's not something, if you're missing it, you can find. So, you know, long term, I, I don't know for UNC. You know, it's not a good sign. I don't think that, you know, this missing toughness or just killer instinct, you know, when you have an opponent your biggest rival at home on the ropes. You know, Marcus Page has beaten Duke once in his career. Like, at some point, these guys have to start getting it done. You're correct, Laura, and that was my point in the wildly popular Amateur Hour podcast that we did before this game. You know, I gave a broad kind of key to the game, if you remember, just talking about how... The umbrella term. The umbrella term of, like, these guys have to put it all together, like, for once and reach their potential because it's the kind of thing where if you keep on passing up opportunities to play at your potential and put it all together and come up with a big victory against a rival. You have to question, can it happen consistently enough, especially to make a run in March and accomplish the kind of things that this team thought it was capable of accomplishing? So this is a very, you know, it's a it's a disappointing result, obviously, for these guys. And you, know, you mentioned the heart and the toughness issue. And, yeah, that's such an intangible kind of quality you know I, I wouldn't say that UNC lacked heart on some of those missed shots that just didn't go in but they weren't good shots right they weren't smart decisions yeah some of those just weren't smart decisions and they just they failed to execute their offense the way they need to execute it in the critical moments of the game and and you saw what happened but a big win for Duke yes yeah the Blue Devils they're pretty happy you know and I asked Grayson Allen does, does it feel like you stole one 
He kind of smiled and said, no, not at all. You know, we, we played good basketball. We were in a fight, and we played really well down the stretch. And that, that is what it is. You know, Duke Duke played better when it mattered the most. And it's, it's a great thing to say. It's a great intangible for these, you know, scrappy ragtag Blue Devils. We'll see if Matt Jones is going to be back anytime soon. But, but yeah, Duke proved to itself tonight that, you know, with their five guys, they can get it done against allegedly one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, pretty stunning result here in Chapel Hill. Duke with a 74-73 victory against UNC at the Smith Center. They're breaking down the Sports Center set here at the Smith Center. I think that's our cue to get on out of here as it is approaching 1 a.m. But thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Amateur Hour.